This is an ABC podcast. This is Science Friction. I'm Natasha Mitchell. Welcome. Now, what do you think? Should Big Pharma be allowed to make the supersized profits that they are from this pandemic? Of course, many of us have had our lives saved thanks to the mRNA vaccines against COVID-19. I've had both, two from Pfizer-BioNTech and a dose of the Moderna or Moderna NIH vaccine. But who can forget the cutthroat race by the world's governments to secure enough doses for their citizens? And even now, only 16% of people in low-income countries have received at least one dose. Well, to shore up our supplies, the Australian government has signed a 10-year deal with Moderna to build and operate an mRNA vaccine manufacturing plant in Melbourne. Moderna will be constructing a facility in Australia that will have the capability of delivering up to 100 million mRNA respiratory vaccines in any given year. Managing Director of Moderna Australia, Michael Azarak, is one of my guests today. But why have the details of that agreement and how much it's costing Australian taxpayers like you been kept a secret. After all, unprecedented public money, billions of dollars, have been poured into pharmaceutical companies by the world's governments to make COVID-19 vaccines. So doesn't that warrant a radical transparency for what they do with that money? Why are the financial and other details of this agreement between Moderna and the Australian government to build this manufacturing facility not being made public. In the recent federal budget, it was cited as a commercially sensitive budget item. It had no numbers next to it. Why the secrecy? Uh, Moderna's engaged in a number of commercial discussions with other jurisdictions as well. So we we did request that the details remain commercial in confidence. Michael Azrak is a 30-year veteran of the pharmaceutical sector. When he took up the role as Managing Director of Moderna Australia six months ago, the Australian arm apparently had just three staff. Now it has 15, in charge of what is presumably a multi-billion dollar agreement with plans to turn the first sod at a factory site this year and to start manufacturing by 2024. And we do recognise an, a need to obviously share the details and we, we are committed to doing that as, as we progress forward into the future. But at this point in time, we, we do request that the details remain commercial and confidence. Explain that more for me. People will want to know who benefits from the details of, a, of this agreement being kept commercial in confidence. Why is that important to Moderna? How does Moderna benefit? As I said, we are, we are engaging in other discussions in other jurisdictions. Obviously, these are quite sensitive discussions that take place between governments and, and, and Moderna. And for us, our preference is that we do keep these commercial in confidence. Moderna and other major pharmaceutical companies, though, have received unprecedented financial input from national governments like our own to to develop and trial and manufacture, distribute COVID vaccines fast. And obviously that was warranted because we're living through a global public health emergency. But doesn't that scale of public investment warrant an unprecedented transparency around any agreements? The agreement is there, Natasha, to ensure that there is a local facility. I think what Moderna is engaging in is quite not the norm. The norm is large-scale global plants that have the economics behind them, capable of producing billions of doses. 
but we are prepared to build facilities to ensure governments like Australia will have access to doses when they need them in the event of another pandemic, and they will be onshore. I think one of the learnings governments around the world saw with this pandemic was the fragility that can take place during a pandemic with global supply chains. So a number of governments are looking at establishing onshore manufacturing in Australia. The Australian government is for Moderna was the first government to reach an agreement with Moderna. What's the public health benefit, though, of keeping the details secret? I think that's a question really for the Commonwealth to answer. When will the financial details of the 10-year agreement between Moderna and the Australian Federal Government be made public? Yeah, I can't commit to a firm date right now, but as I said, I think once we have concluded discussions with other countries, we will share some elements and the details from the agreement that we have secured with the Australian government. Science Friction put a series of questions to the Commonwealth Government about its agreement with Moderna, but its response wholly echoed what Moderna had already told us. We'll put the government's response on the Science Friction website for you to read in full. What companies typically do, they keep all these agreements secret and they play one buyer against the other, convincing everybody that they have a good deal. Biomedical scientist Dr Els Tarila has spent 20 years advocating for making medical innovations accessible and affordable to those who most need them, including through her roles at Médecins Sans Frontières and now as a visiting fellow at the Institute for Innovation and Public Purpose at University College London. In other examples, uh, COVID vaccines are not the first one. If you may remember the hepatitis C drug, Sowaldi, that that Gilead produced and that came onto the market at $84,000 per pill. When Gilead went to negotiate with all governments, again, under secrecy, etc., they were telling everybody that they got good deals, offering rebates, etc. And it was only much later that some of that information was made public uh, or, or leaked and that you could see that People who thought they were, had a good deal were actually paying much more than others. And so it's a, it's a classic tactic. The details of the Moderna deal with Australia are not yet public, so nothing can be inferred about the company's business strategy or its tactics. But Els Tarila is still astounded by what she describes as an unprecedented volume of public money being handed to private companies like Moderna in this pandemic. It's incredible. I mean, it's it's hard to believe that Australia, actually your taxpayers' money, go into building a private manufacturing plant of Moderna. And well, if Moderna wants to uh, build a plant in Australia, fine, they can do it. They have a lot of money that they made on the vaccines, but that there would be government money going into that. Like, why? Big Pharma has indicated that they've made all sorts of concessions, though, to climb on board this incredible global effort to get COVID vaccines into arms. Is that so? Have they treated COVID-19 vaccines as a business product? Yeah, totally. I mean, look at the unprecedented amounts of money they have made. I mean, Moderna and Pfizer alone I think for 2021, made, what, $37 billion? And for 22, even more is, is expected. <laughs> I don't think that that reflects that they have sold it at low profit or no cost or, or cost plus or whatever. What we have learned from the few leaked contracts, we have seen behaviors in particular by Pfizer, for instance, demanding 
guarantees from countries in terms of taking over the liability around their products by putting public assets as collaterals and all kinds of behavior that I think is extortionate in terms of knowing very well that it's a public health emergency and that countries are ready to pay high prices or do many things that they would otherwise not accept if clearly taken advantage of the fact that it was a public health emergency. Again, nothing can be implied about Moderna's operations or the nature of the company's contract with the Australian government to build an mRNA vaccine manufacturing plant. Can Moderna justify the enormous profits that your company has made during this pandemic through vaccine deals, like the one that you you are doing with Australia. Moderna has had an over 2,000% growth in sales on 2020, and 2020 saw a 1,200% sales growth on 2019. Is that scale of profit pocketed by shareholders and Moderna's executive shareholders acceptable to you as, as managing director of Moderna Australia? The concern is that you are profiting off a pandemic. Take a step back and think about Moderna being an 11-year young company. And prior to the pandemic, Moderna was an R&D-focused early development company. Head of Moderna Australia, Michael Azrak. We were probably anticipating we would start to become a commercial organisation in about five years' time. The pandemic dramatically accelerated that. So I think those figures you do quote are of a company going from not having any revenue to having revenue, having revenue in the midst of a pandemic, the first you know, since 1920s. I think what I would reflect on and what we're very proud of is the role that we've served the world during the pandemic, delivering more than 800 million doses last year, of which more than 25% did go to low and middle income countries through either direct sales or through facilitated donations. Do you understand people's concern and questioning that pharmaceutical companies like Moderna, and yes, you are 11 years young, but the profits that you're making are absolutely astronomical during this pandemic phase. Do you understand that people feel quite disturbed about that? I think people feel quite disturbed about the economic hardship that was caused by the pandemic on economies around the world, really concerned about the health impacts that it's had on some of their loved ones. And I think if we think about the economic havoc that the pandemic caused and where we are today, the role that vaccines have played and now we have therapeutics uh, and oral treatments available, really putting us in a very different place. And I think we can't forget that the speed within which the vaccines were developed is something that was not anticipated, right? If we, if we but, take Michael, st- but Michael, it was off the back of 30 years of publicly funded science. I think it was off the back of both publicly funded and private sector collaboration and investment. Primarily public sector scientists, though. I'm not familiar with the exact split, Natasha. And again, what I can say is the speed within which the vaccines were developed and what we're seeing today is also a result of collaboration between private, academia and governments worldwide. But when you see a figure like only 15.7% of people in low-income countries have received at least one dose of, of any vaccine, what do you think about that figure? 
what I think is that we, we all need to take lessons from the pandemic. And what we're seeing now is that there is an absolute glut of vaccine around the world. So I can share with you that and it's been, it's been publicly disclosed that doses that, and options that COVAX and the African Union, 300 million doses, were, were declined for, for 2021. So the, the issue today is not an issue of vaccine supply. It, it is the issue of vaccine hesitancy. It's an issue of distribution and, and, and getting vaccine into arms. It's not an issue of supply. And all stakeholders play a part. And I think there's lessons that we can all take from the pandemic to ensure better delivery and preparedness for the future. I think the role that we can play is to ensure we do have facilities in countries such as Africa, which we've agreed to, that we do enable countries to have access uh, to develop their own without infringing our, our patents and not enforcing those. And I think really staying very close to stakeholders, looking at next generation mRNA vaccines that may not require refrigeration being frozen as well. So looking at the supply chain from end to end. So there's you know, many learnings from this pandemic that we, we as a company are certainly looking at so we can play our role for the next pandemic if, if and when one, one does arise. In March this year, Moderna signed a memorandum of understanding with the Kenyan government to build an mRNA vaccine manufacturing plant there too. It's first in Africa. But Dr Els Tarila has other concerns about such deals. My biggest problem is that those actions and Germany as a country as well and France are building manufacturing capacity in Afri African countries for Moderna and for Pfizer. What that tells me is like, that we have learned nothing about keeping these critical technologies under corporate monopoly control. Instead of saying, well, these technology platforms are really critical for public health, let's share them widely such that many more countries have capabilities to not only produce, but also innovate with them, because this is supposedly the big advantage of the mRNA technology, right? That it is very easily modulatable to different viruses, different variants, etc. And so if this technology is so powerful, why not share it widely such that many countries can adapt it to their own needs based on a shared technology platform that, by the way, we have all contributed paying for through that public funding. It could be argued, though, that this is better than letting a thousand flowers bloom. Moderna and Pfizer and, and, and AstraZeneca, they're big companies. They've created the partnerships that were needed. They've turned the science into the products. They've built the manufacturing know-how. And the need was so urgent. Could it be argued that it was more, in, more efficient to concentrate the world's focus on just a few big players? That is their argument, obviously. I mean, that's the monopolist argument, but Moderna and Pfizer... They never produced mRNA vaccines. It took them, and they had no capacity either. They worked with other companies to build up that technology. They could have done it much broader and actually in a way that allows other countries to produce the vaccines in ways that are more adapted to their own needs. It's, it's also about resilience and capability of countries to take care of their own needs. I think there was a big expectation that, of course, we are all in this together. This is going to change. 
everything. We will have that global solidarity. There were announcements that we were going to do it differently from the highest level of policymakers. But unfortunately, that didn't turn out to be. Has the situation defaulted to business as usual for Big Pharma? It's actually worse. The power that Big Pharma has gotten today is even bigger than it was before. I think the CEOs of the major vaccine companies have a direct line to leaders of wealthy countries in ways that were not the case before. Uh, leaders have, have given masses of amount of money, no strings attached, and give out all the responsibility to them. But also actually accepted a number of deals that allowed them to serve their own population first. And actually, through that, it's our governments who also have undermined the potential for solidarity. So we can't only blame the pharmaceutical companies. There is, however, an ambitious plan underway to address the pharmaceutical industry's monopolisation of manufacturing and to build the sovereign capacity of low- and middle-income countries to make their own mRNA vaccines. Good day, Natasha. I am Professor Pietro de Blanche. I'm the Managing Director of Afrigen Biologics, a Cape Town-based in South Africa biotechnology company that hosts the mRNA hub for developing capacity and capabilities for low- and middle-income countries. Professor Pietro de Blanche has had a multi-decade career as a leader in medical innovation in South Africa. She saw the dire impact of Western pharmaceutical company patents and their monopoly of manufacturing of antiretroviral drugs on Africa's experience of HIV-AIDS. And she wants things to be different for COVID-19. Afrogen, which she now leads, is host to a new technology transfer hub for mRNA vaccines, and it's backed by the World Health Organization. At the early stages of the COVID-19 pandemic, there were no vaccines available for Africa. And there are multiple factors that influence that, and we can rationalize that in many ways. But the one true factor is that unless we create the ability, the capability and the capacity to respond to pandemics and to be able to produce our own vaccines, we will remain vulnerable. And that's the mission of the Tech Transfer Hub, to give African countries and other low to middle income nations the capacity to make their own vaccines. So this facility is fully equipped to not only to develop vaccines and vaccine candidates or to improve processes for vaccine development, but also to produce vaccines under fully licensed conditions for clinical trial material. This technology package and this platform will be transferred. First one will be BioVac here in South Africa. And then there is a whole range in South America, in the East and in Africa that will receive the technology from Afrigen and be empowered to produce their own COVID-19 vaccine. Empowered through both technology and training in how to make mRNA vaccines. Argentina, Brazil, Indonesia, Bangladesh, amongst other countries, are already participating. It will be, in my view, if it's successfully implemented, it will be disruptive like radical innovation. It will be disruptive because it will change the vaccine production landscape forever. But you'll be in direct competition potentially with Moderna, Pfizer, etc. 
who might want to establish manufacturing capacity in those countries? So we would welcome Moderna and Pfizer to establish capacity in low and middle income countries because we believe in inclusive partnerships with a goal to empower the global south to be able to produce their own vaccines and not to rely on the north, the global north, for vaccine supply. A fully vertically integrated vaccine sector in low and middle income countries brings socioeconomic benefits which are essential for the development of these countries. We have to look at this beyond just the ability to make a vaccine. This is a socioeconomic empowerment project. And so in February, Afrogen announced that it had developed an mRNA COVID vaccine, the the startup biologics company that you are heading up. What is the vaccine that you have developed? Is it similar to the vaccines that Pfizer and Moderna already have put on the market? We have utilised the sequence from the Moderna vaccine, sequence of vaccine 1273. This is a sequence which is in the public domain, uh, published by Stanford University, and through a process of forward innovation using our own processes, we have now developed a vaccine candidate. This vaccine does use composition of matter, which are proprietary and protected by patents, and we will work through a process to ensure that we have freedom to operate. We were grateful for Moderna's announcement that they will provide a, a waiver for low middle income countries, 92 countries, to use their intellectual property for a COVID-19 vaccine. And also, we also welcomed Moderna's position that they will not stand in the way of the mRNA hub project to take this vaccine through to market authorization during the pandemic. Moderna was invited to participate in the WHO Technology Transfer Hub headquartered at Afrogen, but declined. But what will happen when the WHO declares the pandemic officially over one day? Will Moderna enforce any relevant patent or intellectual property IP rights over an mRNA vaccine candidate like Afrogen's, shutting it down before it's even trialled? Head of Moderna Australia, Michael Azrak. What I can say is in October of 2020, Moderna was the only company to commit to not enforcing not enforcing our COVID-19 related IP rights during the pandemic. And just in March of this year, we updated that patent pledge, Natasha, to provide that we will never, we will never enforce our patents for COVID-19 vaccines against manufacturers in 92 low or middle income countries in the Gavi-Covax advanced market commitment. And that includes South Africa, provided that the manufacturers produce the vaccines solely for use in those countries. The devil will be in the legal detail, as is always the case with intellectual property rights. Meanwhile, back in Australia, our government has locked in commitments with Moderna to purchase mRNA vaccines produced by the manufacturing plant the company builds. Yes, so the facility and the there, there is a it's a subscription-based model. So there will be volumes of respiratory mRNA vaccines produced as our pipeline develops. So right now it's COVID. In the future, we have flu and we also have respiratory syncytial virus candidates well advanced in the clinic. And we also have combinations of the various respiratory vaccines in our pipeline. So hopefully we have a COVID 
flu combination vaccine coming out of the pipeline. And we recently announced we are looking at developing a triple combination vaccine of COVID, flu and respiratory syncytial virus, which will address a very broad pan-respiratory pathogen disease for for many elderly people uh, who are at most risk. The concern is these deals have and will stifle further innovation and efforts to surface a vaccine that might actually even be better than mRNA technology. We are, it's clear, in need of vaccines that better prevent transmission of the coronavirus, not just severe illness or hospitalisation. We're in need of vaccines that won't require governments to pay Big Pharma for, for more and more booster vaccines in order to be effective. Are we stifling innovation here by signing up to a deal like this early on? My, my personal view is no. Uh, I actually feel that the partnership agreement with the Australian government, if anything, will be a catalyst to spur more research and development uh, in the mRNA field. But Dr Els Tarila believes the global race to back the first generation of mRNA COVID-19 vaccines and mRNA technology generally might shut out other, possibly better, vaccines. There is a very rapidly waning immunity. Four to six months is very uh, little for a vaccine. So we have locked ourselves in now in thinking like, oh, mRNA is the future, but I think there is a narrative there as well that it suits the business very well to have very short (laughs) immunity. What is the incentive for Moderna to deliver a vaccine that uh, provides immunity for three years if they can have a vaccine that is very popular, but that they can sell every six months. So I think if as a government you lock yourself in with one company, I think you limit the space for much better vaccines to come along. But Moderna's Michael Azrak says the promise of mRNA science goes well beyond COVID-19 and vaccines. We're also looking at personal cancer vaccines and therapeutics that target a very broad range of disease. And through our agreement, we're going to be deeply embedded in the local Australian R&D community. And my fervent hope is that, you know, we can be one of the catalysts to really spur significant innovation in the field of mRNA that can come out of Australia. We know there is incredible science here. I'm really hoping it attracts others in the field to invest here in Australia. Michael Azrak, Managing Director of Moderna Australia. And you can find out more about our guests today on the Science Friction website where you can email us too or you can tweet me at Natasha Mitchell. My thanks to co-producer Lisa Needham. I'll catch you next week, our federal election show where wannabe pollies meet the scientists. Bye. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.